So today we're not going to look directly at the text, but we're going to look at some introductory material concerning the book of Exodus. But before that, I just kind of need to refresh ourselves. We've already looked at this before about just the nature of the books of the law, okay? The books of the law. So this is part of the first section of the Hebrew canon called the Torah, or the teachings, or the law. So Exodus is part of the first five books, which is the first section of the Hebrew canon, and it's it's usually called the Torah. Okay, Jews will refer to it as the Torah. They'll also refer to it as the law. We say there wasn't any law in Genesis. Well, you need to understand, remember, they don't see them as five individual books. They see them as one unit, okay? One unit, and we'll explain that in a moment. Five scrolls, but one unit, one continuous story or one continuous text, okay? So it's called the Torah, the teachings, or the law, all right? This section in the Septuagint is known as the Pentateuch, the five scrolls. Now, you say, what in the world is the Septuagint? Well, around the time after Alexander the Great, when he conquered the Middle East, he established a city called Alexandria, and there was a large number of Jews who lived in Alexandria. Now, during that time after, before the Roman period, it was basically all of the Middle East in that area was basically influenced and under the rule of the Greeks. So they were Hellenists. And so the common language that was being spoke, the primary language that was being spoke, was Greek. So the writers, these Jewish writers in Alexandria at the time, decided to make a Greek copy of the Hebrew text. So they made a Greek copy of the Hebrew canon, and it was called the Septuagint. Now, the interesting thing is, is if you, you, you won't read this necessarily when you are reading through the Gospels, but many times when Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, he quotes from the Septuagint, okay? He's quoting from the Septuagint. So, as far as the Septuagint is concerned, the, these, this is called the Pentateuch, and it's called the Five Scrolls. That's what Pentateuch means. Now, after Genesis, each book begins with the conjunction and. So, if you were to look at the first verse in the text, after Genesis, each book begins with the word and, except for Numbers. Numbers doesn't do that. But Exodus begins with and, Leviticus begins with and, Deuteronomy begins with and. Okay? basically talking about the continuation of the text. So Genesis to Deuteronomy is a continuous account by Moses concerning creation through Moses' life. So it's a continuous account. We happen to have divided it into five books. Do you understand? Okay? We have divided it into five books. So let's talk about the book of Exodus now, okay? 
the book of Exodus. First of all, the title. All right. In the Hebrew canon, in the Hebrew, it is the first word of the book, and this is what it is. And these are the words. So that's really the Hebrew title, and these are the words. Okay? You'll say, well, how do they get Exodus? Well, you're going to see here in a moment how that happened, the progression of how that happened. From the Septuagint, the trans, from the Septuagint translation, it means a way out or a road out. So from the Septuagint, the title was chosen a way out or a road out. A way out of where? Egypt. Okay. And where do we get Exodus from? Well, are you ready? In the Latin Vulgate of Jerome, it is Exodus. So the title Exodus that you have in your Bible comes from the Latin Vulgate that Jerome translated of the into Latin from the Greek and Hebrew text. Do you understand? That's the Latin Vulgate is the Latin, trans, Latin translation of the Greek and Hebrew text. And that was done by the church father known as Jerome. Okay? So let's talk about some general observations about Exodus. Okay, so let's talk about some general observations. We'll spend a little bit of time here. First of all, um, the date. The date of Exodus is 13th century B.C., around 1290, during the reign of Ramses II. Pharaoh Ramses II. So the date of the Exodus. There's two dates. I'm just giving you the one that is most accepted by conservative, conservative evangelical scholars. Is around the 13th century. And the reason why is a lot of archaeology even points to this date being the date when the Exodus occurred. When Israel left Egypt and then conquered Palestine, took the promised land. Okay? So the date is 13th century BC. Now, the, there is a later date. I think it's like maybe the 11th or 10th century, and the, and the pharaoh at the time is Amenhotep II. But that's not, we don't accept that date. Okay? Liberal scholars would say it's later, but that doesn't fit into the history of the area. Okay? So the date of the Exodus is the 13th century BC. All right? So stop for a moment. So the date of the Exodus is, okay, so we're living in the 21st century right now, right? Add 13 centuries to that, that's 3,400 years ago. So these events occurred 3,400 years ago. All right? Now, the book of Exodus, it continues the history begun in Genesis. Now remember, we just studied Genesis. When Genesis ends, what's the big thing that happened when Genesis ends? Who ends up in Egypt? The children of Israel, or, or Jacob and his sons. Do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? Seventy adult males and their families. And remember, in Genesis we were told the prophecy given to Abraham that, that they would go to what? Go to Egypt and spend several generations there, over 400 years, in slavery. 
Okay, that was a prophecy given to Abraham, but then they would be brought out. So we understand that when Genesis ends. They end up in they end up in Egypt, and Exodus begins 400 and some years later. The account begins 400 and some years later, and it's a continuation of the history of Genesis. Now, I think it's interesting. Have you noticed? Okay, well, why don't we know what happened during those 400 years? You got, you're going to see in the first chapter a brief account, but it's just very brief of those years. But pretty much you don't know anything about what happens in those 400 years, right? Not at all. Anybody got a reason why? Huh? Well, God was silent. Yeah, well, there's no record. That's a good, good, good answer. Anybody else got? There's a more obvious answer. You want to know what it is? You don't need to know. It doesn't add to the story or take away from the story. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, all we know is that they spent 400 and some years as slaves to Pharaoh. That's all you need to know. And also what you need to know is, is that in 400 and some years, God was protecting them, ensuring their purity to make sure that they would not intertwine with what? The other nations. Okay? So knowing all the details of what happened during those 400 and some years, yeah, you don't need to know. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to know. It's not relevant to us. All right, so it documents the development of the chosen family into the chosen nation. All right, so stop. When we end in Genesis, the record records that with Jacob, 70 went down to Egypt, 70 males, 70 men with their wives and servants and everything, all right? When you open up into Exodus, they're over a million. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's no longer just a family. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, they're all cousins, but they, you know, like my, my daddy said, you don't claim them after the second. You know what I'm saying? So, you, do you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, th so they're all related, but there's a million or more of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a million. So, Exodus documents the development of the chosen family into the chosen nation. The chosen nation, okay? So though they are enslaved in Egypt, they will possess the promised land. Though they are enslaved in Egypt, Exodus shows that they will possess the promised land. How do we know that? Well, the prophecy. The prophecy given to Abraham. Remember, the promise that was given to Abraham, Abraham, all this land you see you'll get, and I'll give it to your descendants. Far as you can see, Abraham, I'm going to give this to you. Same prophecy given to what? Isaac. Isaac, look, as far as you can see, I'm going to give it to you. Jacob, I'm giving this all to your descendants. However, in the midst of that, he says, oh, by the way, Abraham, they're going to be slaves for 400 and some years. But I'll bring them back. I'll bring them back. So though they're enslaved in Egypt, 
They will possess the land. Why? Because God promised it. God said he would do it. God said he would do it. So it records the covenant laws at Mount Sinai, or it's also called Mount Horeb. It records the, the covenant laws at Mount Sinai. Now what Exodus does, it introduces us to a little list of laws that even today cause us problems. Okay? Anybody know what little list of laws he gives in Exodus? Yeah, the Ten Commandments. Okay? What do you mean it causes us problems? Well, you know, Christians want to keep posting this everywhere and the rest of the secular world gets upset with that, right? So, and, and it's always in the news. But it records the covenant laws at Mount Sinai and Horeb. So we see that there. Okay? So we're going to talk about that. That God actually gives the laws. The first set is destroyed by Moses because of sin. And then it's recommitted to them as well. So these are the what we call the Ten Commandments. All right? We'll discuss that when we get through the book of Exodus. Now, it documents God's great acts of love and mercy towards Israel, which was prophesied to Abraham. So Exodus is basically a documentation of God's act of love and mercy to Israel. What do you mean? Bringing them out of Egypt, punishing the Egyptians, taking care of them along the way as they're traveling to the promised land. So it documents the great love and mercy of God. Okay? The great love and mercy of God. So, God's dealing with Pharaoh shows the balance between God's sovereignty and man's free will. So we're also going to see this in the text as well. We're going to see the issue of God's sovereignty, that he is in control and he will bring about his purpose and man's free will. We see that in the interaction with Pharaoh. Okay, So at some parts you'll see that it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and then other parts you'll see where it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so we'll discuss that to talk about God's sovereignty and free will. Exodus is the link between the origin of Israel and the beginning of the theocratic kingdom. Now I need to explain what that means. Some of you are like, what? Exodus is the link between the origin of Israel. So the origin of Israel, we see that where? In the book of Genesis. And the theocratic kingdom. What is that? Well, that is the kingdom where God is in charge, Israel. Remember, they, only, they didn't have a king. They had who? God. And their laws were all based on that, on the worship of God and God being the one who leads them. So Exodus serves as the link of how they move from their origin and their slavery in, in uh, Egypt to the point of being a nation who is ruled by who? God. Okay? Who is ruled by God. So Exodus is the link between the origin of Israel and the beginning of the theocratic Kingdom. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. 
There's only one theocratic kingdom. And there's only going to ever be another one. The one that has already existed was this one, established by God with the nation of Israel, right? Everybody agree with that? The one that is coming is the one that Jesus Christ will establish when he what? Establishes his millennial kingdom when he rules the earth for a thousand years after his return. Okay? That's the one that's coming. Now, why am I making a big deal out of this? Well, because there is, for some reason, in America today, a thought that we are supposed to bring a theocratic kingdom to America. And we get accused of that sometimes by secularists, that we're trying to have a country ruled by God. Folks, there's only one kingdom that's ruled by God. There's only been one nation, that was Israel, and there's only going to be one kingdom to come in the future, and that's who? When Jesus comes. You understand? So there is no other theocratic. We're not called to establish a theocratic kingdom. You understand? We're not called to do that. All right. One final point here. The book of Exodus stresses redemption and consecration. And this is important for us to understand. It stresses redemption, being saved from slavery and then being consecrated unto God. And that's what happens when you and I get saved. When we get saved, we get saved from what kind of slavery? Slavery to what? Sin. And we are now consecrated to who? To God. Okay? So the book of stresses redemption and consecration. Okay, so let's talk about the structure then. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Exodus can be divided into three main sections. In Egypt, in the wilderness, and at Mount Sinai. So you're going to see three main sections in the book. You're going to see, first of all, the account when they're in Egypt, and of course that would include the plagues that will happen, and they're leaving Egypt. You're going to see them in the wilderness, their journey through the wilderness, until they come to Mount Sinai, and then you're going to see the book focus on their time at Mount Sinai. Okay? So Exodus can be divided into three main sections, in Egypt, the wilderness, and at Mount Sinai. So let's talk about how we would divide this up. All right? So first of all, I told you the first section is in Egypt. So Israel in Egypt, that would cover Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, through Exodus chapter 12, verse 36. That's the main section, okay? Chapter 1, you'll notice A, we divide this section into further sections. Chapter 1 discusses the Egyptian bondage. So you're going to get the historical background of what's going on right then. Okay? Chapters 2 through 4 is God's preparation of Moses. God has to prepare his servant for the work that he has to do. So we're going to look at God's preparation of Moses. And then chapters 5 through 11 is the dialogue with Pharaoh and the plagues. Chapters 5 through 11 is the dialogue between Moses and Pharaoh and the plagues. Then chapters 12, 1 through 30, we see the Passover, the institution of the first Passover meal. 
Okay? We see the institution of the first Passover meal. And then in chapter 12, verses 31 through 36, we see deliverance from Egypt. We see that they are delivered from Egypt. Okay? All right. Everybody got that? Okay. All right, so let's go on to the second section. Remember I said it's the wilderness. Israel in the wilderness, this is chapter 12, verse 37, through chapter 18, verse 27. So, of course, the first part, if we're going to say the first subsection in this section, the Exodus and the Egyptian pursuit, which is chapter 12, verse 37, through chapter 15, verse 21. Okay? Now, if you'll notice now, the second subsection under the second section, the journey to Sinai, to Mount Sinai, is Exodus 15, verse 22, through Exodus 17, verse 16. Okay? And then we have an interesting addition to the story, and that is the visit of Jethro. Jethro is the father-in-law of Moses, and that is chapter 18. That's a significant, um, significant chapter, and it's a very important chapter, okay? It's the institution of the judges, okay? And that has significance later on because we have a whole book called what? Judges, okay? So, all right, so let's continue on. Then we get to Israel at Mount Sinai, which is Exodus chapter 19 through Exodus chapter 40. And folks, these are all laws, okay? So I'm going to prepare you. We're going to spend 10 weeks looking at each individual law. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that, okay? You won't come to Sunday school anymore if we did that, all right? So A is the laws of life at Mount Sinai. So they had laws governing how they should be at Mount Sinai, and that is Exodus chapter 19 through Exodus chapter 24. And then also verse chapter 25 through 40 in the second section is the laws of worship at Mount Sinai. All right, so the laws of worship at Mount Sinai. Okay? So let's stop for a moment. When you look at this, chapters 19 through 40 are laws for who? Who are they for? Children of Israel, specifically when? While they're where? While they're at Mount Sinai. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? So you, you have to, you need to be aware of that in case you're reading through and, oh, look, there's this law, I need to apply it to my life. No, no, it's written for who? The Jews, the Israelites. Where? At Mount Sinai. Do, do you understand? Okay? Do you understand? So just be aware, all right? Okay. Now, next week we're going to start with chapter 1 and look at What's going on in Egypt and the oppression that they're facing?